we're so glad you're here this morning. I want to open up this morning asking kind of a, a deep question. And the question kind of goes like this. Apart from Jesus, apart from Jesus, who is responsible for where you're at right now? Apart from Jesus, who is responsible from where you're at right now? And some of you are already kind of thinking through that, and you're thinking, well, Mr. Ford or Mr. Toyota is responsible for where I'm at right now. Um, I want you to try to go a little deeper than that, right? We just had a chance to honor our veterans, and I would dare say, I would, I would absolutely say that our veterans are a part of being responsible for where we find ourselves right now. But not just physical and not just personal, but spiritually, who is responsible for where you find yourself at right now? We're in the middle of a series called Rooted, um, and it's about 70 days of growing deep. That's kind of our tagline. You can see it there if you've got really good uh, eyesight. 70 days of growing deep, and the last three weeks, these last three weeks, we've really been talking more not just about growing deep, but growing outward, what it means to grow outward. If you have your uh, hand out there, look at your introduction, but it says there, God has given PCC the great privilege and responsibility to reach the world with the glory and good news of Jesus. That we as the church body, we have been given not just it as a responsibility, but the great privilege that we have to reach the world, not just to grow deep, but to reach out as well. And we believe that, we believe reaching the world involves both ministry and mission. We talked last week a lot about ministry in your connect groups and here on from the stage, we talked about ministry and here's kind of the difference between ministry and mission. Ministry takes place within the church with the goal of equipping the saint to a full maturity. In fact, as a pastor, this is one of my primary goals is to do this very thing, that my goal for your life is that you would be equipped, that you would be equipped as a believer, you would be equipped as a parent or a grandparent, you would be equipped as a son or a daughter, equipped as friend, as equipped as an employee or an employer, that God's design for the local church within these four walls is to equip you. And Ephesians 4 tells us this, right? Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to, there's the word, maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is what ministry is. But this morning, I want us to look at this idea of mission. Look at what mission is. Mission takes place outside the church with the goal of saving the sinner from a cursed eternity. So ministry takes place within the church with the goal of equipping the saint to a full maturity. And mission takes place outside the church with the goal of saving the sinner from a cursed eternity. And, and we know that we're not the ones doing the saving, right? We know it's Jesus that does the saving. But we have been given the great honor 
to be a part of that in people's lives, to come alongside and be a part of that in the lives of others. We've said this for years, that missions is not a special calling for a few special people, right? It's not a special calling for just pastors and missionaries and super spiritual Christians. No, it's not a special calling. It's a general command to every believer in this room. It is a privilege to be included in the things of God. Not an obligation that we sign up for once a year. Not an obligation that we sign up for once a year. So I want us to go to a very weird place to talk about missions this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. And I know some of you are thinking, that is a weird or an interesting passage to speak on the idea of mission right there in the Old Testament. But I believe the story that we're going to share this morning parallels so clearly the gospel and the desire that God has for us to be on mission. That There's going to be a problem that we're going to see here in the text, but it's not just their problem. If you think about it, it's really our problem as well. So 2 Kings chapter 7. There's our problem, but there's also God's promise. There's our problem, but there's also God's promise. The people of Israel at this time had a really big problem. Second Kings, if you look in, in chapter 6, leads us up to a story, um, to our story, and this is one of the most disturbing, I'll just tell you, one of the most disturbing passages, I think, in scripture, in scripture. It's definitely the most disturbing in the book of 2 Kings, but to me it's one of the most disturbing things to read about the last part of 2 Kings chapter 6. In fact, it's so disturbing that I don't want to spend a lot of time reading word for word because it disturbs me every time I read it. So I want to summarize it for you what's happening here with the people of Israel. If you remember, the, the people of Israel are, are divided. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Southern king, kingdom Judah, the capital is Jerusalem. The northern king, kingdom is Israel, and their capital is Samaria. And this is where the story comes in. The Syrians have began to attack Samaria, and the way they're attacking is through besiegement. And besiegement is really this idea of cutting off supply lines. So get this. This city of Samaria has a supply issue, and because of it, inflation is out the roof. I know, okay, just stick with me, all right? Here, here, here's where the story picks up. 2 Kings chapter 6, here's what's happening. They are paying a small fortune for food. I mean, it's crazy, and there's some passages there that tell you what that's about. They talk about a donkey's head, okay, for food. A donkey's head. Now, who would want to eat a donkey, first of all? But a donkey's head, not the body, just the head. It's going for two pounds of silver, which is equivalent for us for about $700 for a donkey's head. Even grosser than a donkey's head is dove droppings. Dove droppings, a little whatever amount of that you want to consider, is going for about two ounces of silver, which is equivalent to us in our world to a good meal with you and your spouse 
at Texas Roadhouse. So think about that for just a minute, okay? It got so bad that they're selling dove droppings for a ridiculous price. And probably the thing that's most disturbing, more disturbing than anything else you'll read in this passage, is that it had gotten so bad, the starvation had gotten so bad, and because these people were so far away from God, without hope and without really morals, they were actually, they had resolved to eating their children. Now just think about that for just a second. How dark does it have to get for something like that to take place? They were cannibalizing their children. So some of you are thinking, well, how is this problem our problem? How in the world do you equate 2 Kings chapter 6 with us and our problem? I'll tell you how. Think about this for just a minute. Somewhere right now in the world, somewhere right now in the world, there is a pregnant mom that is completely dehydrated and about to die. Somewhere in the world there, that's happening. Somewhere in the world, there is a child that is about to die of starvation or a preventable disease that would be easily treated. In fact, if we want to put this in some kind of quantifiable experience, 26,000 children are going to die today of starvation. To think of it in terms where we can even kind of grasp a number that size, it's literally like taking the World Series that just happened this last week And every two days, filling up that stadium with children, and that's the representation that we have. That's not what happened back then. That's happening like right now in our world today, right now. 26,000 children. Somewhere in the world right now, there's a teenage girl locked in a dark room with zero freedoms. In fact, there's this 30-30 principle that's going on in our world right now, and you might know about this, you might not, that... Human slavery, uh, trafficking, is one of the highest points in history that it's ever been. And there's a 30-30 principle, and it goes like this. Every 30 seconds, a child is sold for about $30. Every 30 seconds, a child is sold for about $30. Many in our world do not even have a home. They don't have a place to lay their head at night. A couple of years ago, I took this picture. And it's kind of surprising because this picture that you see on the screen was not actually taken in the jungles of Venezuela or Guatemala. It wasn't in the mountains of Nepal or on the plains of Zambia. This picture was actually taken about 300 yards from where I'm standing. Right here in these woods that we have a problem in our world, that it's not just a problem back in 2 Kings 6. There's a problem that we have in our world, and the problem goes like this. All of these people with all of these needs, they need shelter, they need water, they need food, they need medicine, they need rescuing, they need hope. And we have a problem. We have a problem, but man, praise God, we also have a promise. 
a promise. And look here in 2 Kings 7 how God fulfills a promise to the people of Israel. He sends his prophet Elisha, and look at verse 1 with me. Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a say of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two says of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. I know some of you are like, what's a say? A say, what's a shekel? I get that. Here's really what Elisha's saying. Black Friday is on its way. That's really what he's saying. He's saying, hey, something's coming where the bargains are going to hit, and they're going to they're hit tomorrow. Tomorrow, the famine is going to be over. And all of this inflation and all of these supply problems, it's coming to an end. And this is what is being said here, that the famine's going to be over. And here's the reason why. Because God made a promise to his people. He made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Even more recently in their history, he made a promise to David that the line of Christ, the line of his people is not going to fall. And this is what he does. He uses Elisha to remind the people of the promise that God made to his people, to the people of Israel. And here's the thing to consider for us, that not only does God make a promise to the people of Israel, God's made a promise to us as well. Even back before the patriarchs, even back before King David, God made a promise to Adam when all of this went south. When all of this went bad and all the mess came into our world, God makes a promise to Adam that he's going to send a Savior to come into the middle of our mess and and save us and bring hope into our world. You see, this is what the problem and the promise brings to us. This This is what it brings to us. I heard an old missionary say this one time, and I love this line. Here's what it is. For the promise, for the Christ follower, this life is the closest they ever get to hell. Think about that for just a minute. Those of you that are Christ followers in here, maybe you've went through a life of pain and suffering. Maybe you think about the people overseas or even here in America that's just going through severe trauma, severe suffering in their life. For the Christ follower, this is the closest we're ever going to get to hell. Man, isn't that amazing to think about? Man, praise God for that. That this is the closest we ever get to the tasting of hell. But think about this, guys. For the Christ doubter, for the lost, this is the closest they ever get to heaven. This is the closest they ever get to heaven. Man's problem is much worse than all of the famine and all of that stuff that's sitting there. That man's problem is much worse. It's an eternal problem. And for the lost person, the closest they ever get to heaven is right here on this earth. And that's a sad commentary. In fact, if you're sitting out there this morning and you're lost or maybe you're just you know, just kind of have your doubts about following Jesus. Here's the truth for you. This life is as good as it's going to get unless you make a decision to follow Jesus. And that's a tough reality for us to consider. And it all boils down to this. It all boils down to what do we do with our doubt and what do we do with God's direction in our life? What do we do with our doubt 
And what do we do with God's direction in our life? Look at verse 2. So Elisha makes this declaration. He makes this, he tells the people of this promise that God is going to fulfill in their lives. And look at verse 2. It says, Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, said to Elijah, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing even be? Now he's being sarcastic here. Okay, he's being sarcastic here. But Elisha said, you shall see it with your own eyes, talking to the captain, but you shall not eat of it. Now, here, here's what this captain's doing. This captain is basically voicing what everyone else in the whole city is thinking. He's voicing what they're thinking. He's thinking, can God open up windows of heaven and food just fall from the ground? And what's crazy about that is he's being sarcastic, but we all know, most of us know, this actually happened, right? Like God opened up heaven a lot and brought manna down for 40 years to people. And yet this captain doubted the power of God. And this is what we know to be true. Doubt always leads to despair. Doubt always leads to despair. As bad as it was in Samaria... It wasn't just starvation and cannibalism that plagued the people. As bad as it is in our world and even here at home with famine, with poverty, with human trafficking and disease and any other problem you can imagine, the worst part of all of this was that there was no hope. Their doubt and disbelief had led them to a place of despair. You see, you can go about 40 days without food. Some of you are like, yeah, right. Well, I'm already missing an hour and I'm starving. I get that, okay? But you can go 40 days, about 40 days without food. You can go four days without water. You can go about four minutes without oxygen. But let's be honest, it's hard to live four seconds without hope. And this is what we see, don't we? People living their lives in meaningless, hopeless existence. For many in this world, and maybe you're sitting in this room and this is where you find yourself, this is what your life kind of boils down to. Get a job, make money, buy things. Those things break or we lose interest, buy new things. Save some money, retire, then die. And all the way, all along, from from birth to death, the the sole purpose in life is just be entertained. Like, through this process, we're going to just, our highest goal in life is going to be entertained to try to find satisfaction in something in this world. And, And we see this. This is why social media and this is why the internet is so successful. Because it's people searching for meaning and searching for entertainment and and, and a reason to live their lives and a reason for existence. And it's not just lost people that get caught up into this world. Man, it's saved people too. I caught myself a couple weeks ago. uh, I was on Facebook. I know I'm old. I've got a Facebook account. Um, They say now that that, if you're you're, uh, 
a certain age, you don't have Facebook, you have like Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. I don't understand all that. But here's what I know to be true. I was on Facebook and I was scrolling and I came across a page that just was astounded me. And this is the page that I, that I saw. It's a page that is, I will name my son Batman if this page gets 250,000 fans. And I'm like, what? This is crazy. Like, who would put this together? What kind of person has the time on their hands to put this together? And then, if he's true to his word or her word, actually name their kid Batman. So, I like the page, right? I follow him. But, <laughs> but I mean, let's be honest. It would be kind of interesting if someone's name was Batman, like, legal name. But here's what I found to be true. I started judging this guy completely. Like, what kind of person has time for this? And then I got to thinking, I'm looking at this guy's page. I'm part of the problem, right? No, don't, have you ever been like that? Have you ever been in a place in your life where you're just kind of zoning out because you've lost your purpose, you've lost your sense of direction, and it's not just lost people that go through this. It's saved people that go through this. For some of you, the highlight of your Monday is going to be getting home to watch Netflix. It's true. This is a life without hope. This is a life without meaning. Where's the glory? Where's the sense of purpose that God has called us to? That there's more to life than just those things. And this is where the people of Israel found themselves. And then God interjects. God gives them a direction to follow here. Look at verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. Now a lot of you probably know what lepers are all about or leprosy is all about. But it's a terrible disease during this time. You couldn't be near anybody Talk about socially distanced. I mean, it was much more than six feet. They were really far away. And if somebody came near them, their job, according to the law, was to cover their mouths and scream out, unclean, 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 three times. People were not allowed to be around them. and They were socially outcast. Not only that, but they were, they were losing parts of their body because their extremities would go numb, so it'd be easy for them to accidentally get their finger lopped off or their ear lopped off or their big toe lopped off. And this is the people that's in this story here, the lepers. Look at, verse, look at the rest of the part three here. And they said to one another, Why sit here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city. And if we say, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. Now, lepers were known for falling apart, not debating philosophy. And this is what we see them doing. It's like they're having, the, it's like, it's literally like Sherlock Holmes and Spock debating one another right now. And they come up with this, this logical question. This logical question. They had three options here die slowly, die quickly, or live. And here's what the question was that I want us to think about right now. Verse 3, why sit here until we die? 
Why sit here until we die? These men were willing to go into the enemy camp even if it cost them their life for the chance of living. I have a, a guy I like to watch on TV. His name's Bear Grylls. Anybody ever heard of Bear Grylls? Yeah, a couple of you. I like Bear Grylls. He's the kind of guy, he can make like a five-course meal out of a coconut. And he goes out into these wild experiences, and they're very like crazy adventures, and he teaches you all this stuff. But I love one of the, one of the quotes he said one time that I just thought was amazing. It's this. The brave may not live forever, but the cautious do not live at all. The brave may not live forever, but the cautious do not live at all. Why sit here until we die? You see, this isn't just the question for the lepers. This is our question as well. Why sit here until we die? Why waste our lives dying slowly, playing it safe, and spending it all on ourselves? When deep down we know we were made for more than Facebook and Netflix. We were made for more than college and career. We were made for more than houses and stuff. We were made for more than buying, selling, and investing. We're made for more than job promotions and retirement. We're even made for more than our children and our spouse. That there is no meaning in life apart from Jesus. God created within us our need, this need for eternal satisfaction. And nothing that this world has to offer, no relationship, no thing we can buy, no entertainment we can watch, is ever going to satisfy the deepest need in our heart. It's the reason, well, when we go on mission trips, man, it's so memorable. You see people come to life because they are tapping into something that they don't tap into 24-7. Following Jesus and being on mission for him is the most satisfying thing we can do with our lives, period. And yet for some of us, it's once a year. It's volunteering at the dental bus. It's going on that mission trip to Nepal or Guatemala. These things are awesome. But we've contained our sense of purpose into one week out of 52. So many people older, than li- older in life regret missed opportunity. In fact, if you study in psychology, I actually took psychology courses at Liberty, and one of the things we studied is that at 65 and older, their biggest thing that they have to overcome is despair. And the reason for that is at 65 and older, or maybe you're there already, you look back on life and you start realizing all the places you miss the opportunity. And for some of us, man, that's where we find ourselves. Missed opportunity, regretting what's happened. And at the end of it all, here's here's where it is for me. I want my life to count for something. Something bigger and greater than just surviving. Why sit here until I die? 
Why sit here until I die? These lepers decided to move. To do more than just sit and die, they decided to go to the Syrian camp to do something bold and brave and courageous. And here is where we see God's miracle and our message. Look with me in verse 5, the last part of verse 5. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of, great, of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. Now, I don't know about you, and maybe you read this differently. When I read this, it literally sounds like a comedy, right? I mean, think about this for just a minute. These four lepers, they're stumbling over to the camp. You know, I don't know how long it took them to get there. They're stumbling to the camp. I mean, they're probably losing big toes on the way and all this. And these four lepers who are physically unwell and unfit are moving towards the camp. And God creates this miracle of sound where it sounds to the Syrians like a massive army is coming towards them. So all the Syrians abandon the camp. God creates this miracle, and the Syrian army completely vacates the camp. Think about this. The mightiest army in the land or the highest stronghold in our hearts does not stand a chance against our God. When we move towards God, he does something that only he can do. He creates, he does a miracle. And that's the story for each one of us in here that follow Jesus, isn't it? I mean, that's our story, that we were bogged down in sin, sitting in darkness, waiting to die, And then Jesus comes into our world. He steps into our existence and he begins to work on our heart and he miraculously does a miracle inside of us. You know, I've been a part of this church for 30 years. 30 years, like 30 plus years actually. I was here when I was eight and I remember literally running around this gym and hiding different places in the church and all of that well before this was a worship center. And man, what's been really cool about being here for 30 years is I've got to not only watch myself mature in the faith and follow Jesus, I've got to watch so many people in this church. I'm looking at some of you that are older than me that have just, as you've gotten older in age, you have just matured so well in Christ. And man, that's powerful to think about. Where would we be without Jesus? Where would we be without the miracle of salvation working in our lives? Look at verse 8. And when these lepers came to the edge of the city, or came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it. And look at what they did. They went and hid them. They're getting all of this blessing from God, right? They're they're receiving this miracle from God, and they're taking all of that stuff, and they're doing what some of us do with salvation. They go and they bury it. 
They go and they hide it because they don't want anyone else finding the treasure that they themselves have found. They thought that the miracle of their salvation was just for them. And they do what so many Christians find themselves doing. God does a miracle in their lives, and yet they hide it. They keep it quiet. You know, verse 8 is kind of where we find a lot of Christians. The verse 8 Christian. Are you a verse 8 Christian? Where God did a miracle in your life. God did something miraculous in your life. He saved you and you went and buried it somewhere. And for some of you, you might have been living 15, 20 years of your life like this. God did something back here, but it's hidden. No one would ever know. No one would ever know. Who have you shared Christ with? Who have you shared the miracle of salvation with? I love verse 9 though. It says, Then they said to one another, these lepers, We are not doing right. Notice the conviction. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. They don't wait another second. They feel the conviction of what they just did, hiding the miracle of God from others. They feel that conviction and immediately they go to tell other people the good news. You know, there's nothing like hearing good news, right? There's nothing like hearing good news. I was in Gary's office a few days ago and we're sitting there and Corby comes in and he says, hey guys, guess what? I found a place in Shelby where you can get gas for $1.59. And we were like, really? I mean, literally, I'm getting my cars out, of, my keys out of my pocket. I'm, I'm ready to drive. I'll go to South Carolina. I don't care where. I'm going to get gas for $1.59. And he goes, yeah, it's Taco Bell. And you want to talk about the disappointment in that moment? I'm like, are you kidding me, Corby? Like, I was excited about the $1.59 gas. You know why? Because there's nothing like hearing good news. Good news excites us. And these lepers, they had good news. And here's the thing. It didn't matter what they were like. It didn't matter they were outcast. It didn't matter that the message of good news is bigger than the messenger who brings good news. It wasn't the prophet that did this. God didn't use Elisha to do this part. No, he didn't use a pastor or a missionary. Instead, he used probably the most ill-equipped persons to spread this good news. And if he can do that with four lepers, what does he want to do with you? They had a message of good news to share, and so do we. And I think the reason a lot of us don't share is there's this huge difference between man's religion and God's relationship, between man's religion and God's salvation. You see, man's religion is outside in. It's this statement that says, I'll do something for God if he does something for me. 
And you can go all over the world and you can go into almost any church in America and find people that if you really pin them down, this is what they truly believe about God. I'll do something for God if he'll do something for me. And here's the thing, that's not good news. That's a contract. That's mechanical. It's like the worst part about buying a house. The worst part about buying a house is the closing, right? I'm sorry if you're a real estate agent, that is the worst part. It's always the part where you got to get all the papers together. you got to make sure the contracts are lined up. That's the worst part. But some people, they live their religion out. They live their relationship out as if it's religion. And it's this whole idea of, I'll do something for God if he does something for me. And the reason some of you don't share Christ is because you don't have him to share. Instead, you've got to do something different. It's not about that. Instead, it's receiving God's salvation. That salvation is not outside in. Salvation is inside out. Colossians 1.27 tells us this. Christ in me, the hope of glory. That God has come to reside in this heart. And if he's in this heart, I have something to share. It's not an obligation. It's a privilege. That there are right now 8 billion people in the world made up of 17,000 people groups. And God deserves the worship and praise and glory of every single one of them. So where do we find ourselves there? Verses 10 through 15, I don't have time to read them, but this is an incredible little passage. And it really just shows you one thing. Good news travels fast. Good news travels fast. You can go look at that later, verses 10 through 15. It's pretty awesome to see how fast those lepers come back. They, they go and they share it with the watchman. Then they go to the king's house. Then the king sends messengers. Great little story there about what God's doing. But the whole point of 10 through 15 is good news travels fast. And then the end of our story shows us this beautiful picture of God's charity and our choice. God's charity and our choice. Look at verse 16. Then the people, they find out about this good news. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a say of fine flour was sold for a shekel. And two says of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. God did exactly what he had promised he was going to do. And he can do the same in our lives and the lives of our neighbors and the lives of our co-workers through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. He can do the same thing. You know, it's funny when we hear the word charity. I have a sister-in-law named Charity, but I think for a lot of us when we hear the word charity or that, that word, we kind of get this picture in our mind, or at least I do sometimes, of getting in my house and getting a bunch of garbage bags worth of junk that I don't want and dropping it off at the Goodwill, right, or the Salvation Army. I mean, we, we do this, right? Maybe I'm the only one that does this. Some of you are yard sale people. That's great for you. I don't have time for a yard sale in my life. So literally, I, I'll get the stuff. I'll put it in a bag. It's usually a bunch of stuff I don't want or need, and I lug it down to the truck, and I can't wait. It's the best feeling. In fact, when I pull into the Goodwill, you hear that ding, ding. That's the best noise in the world because I'm about to unload a bunch of junk. And for some of us, we kind of get this picture of charity. That's what we think about. 
We think about our useless junk given away. But this is not the picture that God has of charity. Charity is an outward expression of the inward understanding of grace. It's the deepest love that God shows us. He's not giving us his junk. He's giving us his very one and only son, the most priceless thing in all of the universe. This is what God does for us. He gives us charity. He gave these people hope. He gave them charity. He gave them a miracle. And then God ends this story with this little epilogue, this little part of the story that didn't get resolved earlier, but it's about to get resolved. And it's actually a very sad part of the story. Look at verse 17. Now the king had appointed the captain. You remember the captain we talked about earlier? The guy that doubted. Could God really do this? The king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. So he sent that doubting man down to the gate to control the crowds. It's like, you know, like Black Friday. And the people trampled him in the gate so that he died as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. Verse 20, and so it happened to this man for the people trampled him in the gate and he died. That's how chapter 7 ends. It starts dark, right? Or it starts when in chapter 6, the story starts dark. Lots of hope, lots of great stuff happens. And then it ends kind of with this dark note about this unbelieving, disbelieving captain that was trampled. And I believe God gives us this to show us a choice here. That through all of this stuff in our lives, we have a choice. We can either choose to be powerfully transformed on mission as a follower of Jesus. Like that's what he wants for us. For our existence to be far greater than just the entertainments we find in this world and the stuff we can buy. But that we would be transformed. Christ living in us. The hope of glory. And be on mission for him. We can either be doing that. Or we can choose to be painfully trampled in judgment as a Christ doubter. And we do have a choice to make. A few weeks ago, uh, I like to ride bikes. And uh, me and my wife, this is something we enjoy doing. And we went down to Greenville, South Carolina, and they have the Swamp Rabbit Trail. I don't know if you've ever been on that. It's a wonderful trail. And... Um, we like to do this several times a year. So me and my wife and um, my youngest son, he's not in school, so we took him with us, and we're riding our bikes, and it's beautiful, especially this time of year, right? Like all the leaves are falling, and it's a beautiful trail, and just so far you can go. I mean, you can go all the way up to Traveler's Rest, all the way back. It's wonderful. And we're taking this trail, and we come across something that I just found perplexing and very, very ironic. Here's what I found on the bike trail. Do y'all see what this is? This blew my mind, okay? Blew my mind. Like, literally, there's people that get on this beautiful bike trail, and they go get on this stationary bike. And they work, and they work, and they work, and they work, and they don't see nothing. 
And they don't go anywhere. And, and this is what just hit me. I mean, I remember we literally stopped. And I told Crystal, I have to take a picture of this. Like, this is blowing my mind right now. And I took a picture of this. This is right there. And, and this is kind of what, what hit me. My biggest fear in life is that I will work very hard and not go anywhere. My biggest fear for our church is that our church would be knowing for working real hard but not actually going anywhere. Our greatest fear as individuals and as a church should not be a failure but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. So the question this morning is this, are you on mission? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Are you on mission? Are you moving and taking ground from the enemy and sharing the miracle of salvation through the power of Jesus? Or are you sitting, waiting to die? Are you on mission or are you sitting and waiting to die? Are you working really hard in this life but not really eternally going anywhere? And today, God wants to do something in our lives. For someone who's lost in this room, I said it earlier, man, if you stay in that position, this is the best it's ever going to get for you. And today, choose to follow Jesus. Choose to allow him to do a miracle that only he can do and bring salvation into your life the same way he did with these lepers, the same way he did with the city. But for some of us in this room, it's not that. For some of us in this room, we're that verse 8 Christian. We're that Christian who made a decision when we were eight, made a decision when we were 30, decided to follow Jesus. God did a miracle in our lives and we, for whatever reason, think that that miracle is just for us. And we've hidden, we've hidden away our salvation. We might raise our hands and sing our songs on Sunday morning, but you wouldn't catch us dead doing anything Monday morning at work. Because we're the verse 8 Christian. We're the, we're the ones that have hidden our salvation away. And for some of us, it probably the fact that we're not sharing Jesus is because we might not have Jesus to share with in the first place. But church, it is time for us to step outside of these walls and be on mission for Christ to the people all over this county, all over this community, and to the ends of the earth. This is, this is our problem, but there is a promise of a Savior, and His name is Jesus. So God, help us, Lord, to get off the stationary bike, to get off of all of that trying and straining and pushing and not going anywhere. 
stepping into a life of mission and adventure and satisfaction that you want to bring through us being obedient to be on mission. Father, I pray, Lord, whatever you need to do in this moment, that you would do it. God, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.